Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. Starting Points goes through the entire Bible, from Genesis through Revelation, covering all the major books and sections of the Bible. It's designed to be a starting or a restarting point to anyone's reading, studying, engaging with, wrestling with the Bible, which we believe to be the very Word of God. We are in the prophetic books of the Bible, and today we are going to take a look at the book of the Lamentations. Now, Lamentations comes from the word lament. To lament is to mourn, to grieve. Others have described this book as an elegy. An elegy is a a poem of serious reflection that is typically a lament, a song for the dead. Jeremiah, the prophet who wrote this book, also wrote the book of Jeremiah, was mourning, was grieving for the dead. Friends and family, people, real people that he knew, people that had lives, had hopes, had dreams, who were now gone. Not just individual people, but a nation as he watched his once great nation crumbling. In chapter 1, he laments the destruction of Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he reflects and and describes the effects of God's judgment. In chapter 3, he remembers God's mercy even in his judgment. He says, look, it could be so much worse. God is being just towards us, but even in his justice, he is showing mercy. He is showing restraint. He is holding back how much worse it could be. Chapter 4, he makes a contrast between the former days and the current days. He talks about how it was when and how it is now. Now, I think that's dangerous. And it's a dangerous game that Christians in our day play, where we pretend as if some time was better and that we are in a situation like Jeremiah. I think it's disrespectful to believers in times past who have genuinely suffered to try to compare whatever the church in America is going through with what believers in times past have experienced and suffered. And I think we disrespect them and their legacy if we do so. I also think we can have a a sort of a fantasy about former days. I, I think that there is a reality where people talk about, well, You know, back then it was different. Back then sin was different. And there's no question that like people are always bad, but there are worse times. There are worse moments and seasons. And and that I'm thankful there are days I don't live in. And I'm not going to tell you, oh, it was so much better back then. Because there were times and moments and seasons and places where believers had it so much worse. I think Jeremiah here is right to compare the former days to the current days. I think if you were to sit with Jeremiah and say, but Jeremiah, what about this? What about that? What about the time where King David took a woman into his bed that wasn't his wife and then to cover it up, he had her husband killed? And he would say, that was terrible. And it set us down a path that has led us to where we are. But you know what? King David repented. King David turned back to God, our king's never believed in God in the first place. 
And in chapter five, there's a prayer for Jeremiah and he, a, a prayer that Jeremiah makes and he writes down and he cries out to God to remember his people. God, I know we deserve this. God, I know that we have brought this on ourselves, but in your mercy, will you remember your people? Now, one of the questions, in fact, the first question we ask on this podcast is, what's the human story in the book? This book is fascinating to me. I argue that it should be in the prophetic, or sorry, the poetic books just as much as it should be in the prophetic books. And you could say, well, Adam, it contains prophecy. Shouldn't it be among the writings of the prophets? Sure. But we know from the New Testament that the book of Psalms is full of prophecy, full of prophetic vision. We know from the book of the Revelation that Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, while not a prophetic book, has some prophetic applications. How Jesus and the church are described as the groom coming for the bride. This is an artistic collection. It's a collection of responses, song lyrics, poems, an outlet for Jeremiah to process his grief and his pain, seeing all of the things that are happening to the people he knows and to his people at large. It's a song of great pain, heartache, and suffering. Friends, we need these. We need to be able to mourn and to grieve as people and as a church. There are Christians who do not agree with what I just said. I was a music guy in the church long before I was a preacher in the church. And I remember I was a musician at a church around the time Angie and I got married, and the pastor there told me, Adam, there shouldn't be anything negative. Why, why are you playing songs in minor keys? We should just have the joy of the Lord all the time. And yet Jesus wept. He wept when Lazarus died. He, he was so grieved in the garden the night he was betrayed that he, he sweated blood which doctors tell us only happens in times of extreme duress and lament. What do you do when your soul needs to process everything that's going on and you need to grieve and mourn and lament? And yet, I'll be honest, it is very hard as a musician to find songs, modern songs, current songs, that have room for pain and lament, that have room for this sort of crying out. We need this. We all need outlets. I grew up in a, a group of churches that at least in the 90s and the early 2000s downplayed or minimized artistic creation in the church. And yet, what is Jeremiah doing? As he is living out his prophetic ministry, we have this collection of poems, song lyrics, whatever this is that he is writing out to process, to filter through as a creative outlet. And now God is using it and there's prophetic things within it because Jeremiah had the, the, the prophecies God had given him. And so he is weaving that and molding that into his artwork. But he needed this outlet. There's a question about Christian art. 
Should there be Christian music? Should there be Christian movies or books or any sort of other thing? In one sense, I do not believe in a divide between the sacred and the secular when it comes to art and creativity. I do not believe that just because somebody paints a cross, that makes it a Christian painting. Nor do I believe that because somebody has a song about never giving up faith, that that is somehow implicitly a Christian song. I also think that there is a place for Christian songs and books and publishers and record labels, and here's why. I have friends who are very successful musicians. They are successful. They've had songs on the radio. They've had, you know, thousands of people show up to their concerts. And they're believers. And they just, you know, they're just making art, making music. They don't feel a particular calling or, or uh, you know, special, special hand on their life to use their art in any sort of implicitly spiritual way. It's just, a, that's what they do. They're performers and they're entertainers. That's fine. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've also known people who were frauds, who made quote unquote Christian art as long as it suited their pocketbook. And then when that was no longer necessary, they turned around and they threw stones at the church on whose back they had made their living. Artists that you've heard of, that you've heard on the radio, that, that people say, oh my goodness, you know, they're doing all these things and then you find out that they aren't believers, that they haven't had faith in many years, but you know what, it's positive music and they, 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 they get a paycheck and they like that. And it's more secure, there's not a place for them in you know, secular uh, media. So there they go. I think we should have room for creativity and for art within the church. I think people like Jeremiah need a way to express what they are going through. Now, that being said, I've been around the church long enough to know that there are plenty of times where, uh, you know, people uh, basically, it's like they need a, a place to like, exhibit. And so then they use the church as their place to exhibit. And in some church traditions, there's this idea of special music. You know, you do the, the songs, everybody sings together, and then somebody gets to stand up and sing a solo. And that's just their way of like performing. And, and I need that affirmation. And it's not about Jesus or, or the church. It's about themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do think there is a place for creativity and for expression. And I think that is both true of individual Christians and true of churches collectively. And we de- don't need to minimize these things the way it often was in the churches I grew up in. If it's not about, you know, preaching the gospel or studying the Bible, then they didn't care. But God made us as creative people, so why shouldn't we have place and provision for that creativity? Now, the next question we ask is, what are the landmines? What are the controversial points? This book is often overlooked. There's a Bible commentator named Christopher Wright who said this, since we have lost the willingness, the vocabulary, or even the capacity to engage in authentic biblical lament at least in our public worship and certainly in the Western church, then what use have we for a book with such a name? The idea is that 
you know, Christians and churches talk about being biblical and we, you know, we just want to study the Bible together. But if you were to do a, a six week series in the book of Lamentations, well, I suppose you do a, you know, five week because there's five chapters. Then people would say, oh man, it's such a downer. Can we do something different? Because we don't have place for this. And yet people need it. This is a story I've told before, but I think it's applicable. I was leading worship at a church. This is the same church I mentioned a bit ago where the pastor said everything should just be positive. And uh, I was supposed to do the song, uh, Blessed Be Your Name, which is a very well-known song and at the time was incredibly popular still. It's, it's not as popular as it once was, uh, but it's one everybody knows. And I was asked to do that one and I was practicing the day of and I just, I was doing the, if you've ever heard that song, it sounds the same way no matter who does it. Some songs are different depending on which church is doing it. That song just sounds the same no matter who it was. And I was just like, oh Lord, I don't know if I can do this song again. I'm just so tired of just the same thing and I feel like it's just meaningless. And I just set it down for a bit and I was doing some other things and I, I was like, well, I guess I should practice this again. And it's the only time, I'm not a songwriter. I've been playing music for a long time. I don't think I'm gifted as a songwriter. But I feel like I was given some insight into playing it slower and a little more reflective. And I did that night. And afterwards, the pastor came up to me and says, oh my goodness, were you trying to make us all depressed? That was, don't do it like that again. And I just felt deflated and dejected. And then he went and I walked down the hall and his wife came around the corner and she's crying, just sobbing. And I thought, oh man, she really hated the song. Like I'm, going to get an earful now. And she came up to me and she said, thank you. Because she was going through stuff and she needed the outlet. And her husband said, no, just be full of the joy of the Lord. But she needed to lament. Now, uh, there are two verses in chapter two and in chapter four that speak about cannibalism. And when we read the Bible and there are landmines, people say, oh, look, the Bible is full of all sorts of terrible things. There's cannibalism in the Bible. Can you believe it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think we're a little bit soft sometimes in the West. You know, there's a reality that all of us read the Bible with the eyes that we have. We read the Bible with Western eyes. We read the Bible with modern eyes. We read the Bible with male or female eyes. These are the, the, the perspective that we come with. But our perspective is a little bit soft here in America. Nobody's starving. Nobody's, nobody's on, you know, death's door. Generally speaking, we have social safety nets. I remember when I was in high school and I went to Russia in 1998 and I went to St. Petersburg for a couple of days and hearing stories of what they suffered through as the Nazis surrounded St. Petersburg. Incredible stories of pain and suffering as they had to eat the dead to survive. And throughout human history, this has been a thing. In fact, God told them, the people of Israel, if you do not follow my ways, the result is you will have to eat your own people. Not because God was making them. This was just the natural consequences of sin. If you touch the hot stove, you will get burned. Nobody is pressing your hand on the stove. You chose to touch it. And so Jeremiah in chapter 2, when he is describing the effects of God's judgment and chapter 4, when he's contrasting the former and the current days, Jeremiah talks about people who have to Eat the dead. And it's a tragic thing. And there are those who say, oh, the Bible's full of terrible things. No, recognize that the Bible is talking about 
true things. Now, where is Jesus seen? Israel deserved the wrath it got. Jeremiah makes that clear. All of the prophets who were prophesying at this time had warned them, repent, repent, this is coming. Even back at the giving of the law, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 53 through 57, you can go and read those. Everything that Jeremiah describes, God warned them, this will happen if you turn after idols and false gods. This is what will come. You know, where's Jesus seen? I'll tell you this, friends, we have earned our fate. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is seen in that God has made a way of salvation, that even in his justice and his judgment, he remembers mercy. And the mercy of God is that Jesus Christ died to save sinners and that Jesus made the way open for salvation for all who would believe. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you have done. Through Jesus, the way of salvation is open to all. We grieve and we mourn like Jeremiah because the world around us is full of pain and hurt and misery. But even while all of that is true, we have great hope that Jesus will restore and renew all things. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. You can search Faith on Hill on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and find all of our online content. You can like and subscribe there. We gather together on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person for our church services and small groups meet throughout the week. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Starting Points.